Hey, it's Greg. I wanted to give you a chance to listen to a bonus podcast from Toronto today, an extended chat with George Strombolopoulos, who was down in Los Angeles. He's often in Toronto, often in Los Angeles, and I wanted to compliment him on the um, emotion and just how it affected me the interview with Alex Lifeson and Getty Lee on uh, not just their 40th anniversary of Moving Pictures, a seminal album in their career back in 1981. It's been 40 years since 1981, 82. I don't like that. But nonetheless, uh, the passing of Neil Peart and the passing of time and COVID and music and its impact on all of us. Uh, and I started off by having this conversation. So this runs about 35 minutes but had a conversation talking about the emphasis that they wanted to put around this interview and how um, professionally Rush had a lot more to give and Getty felt that way and Alex felt that way. And they were so honest about how devastated they were for their friend and a terminal illness, but crushed they couldn't be Rush anymore. It's a real honest conversation. I hope you're able to listen to it and enjoy it this weekend. Thanks very much for being here, and here we go. The context that I thought was so honest was, like, personally – they're obviously devastated. That's their friend. That's their bandmate. That's he'd been through so much tragedy uh, in his own personal life. Mm-hmm. And so they're devastated by that personally. They're sworn to, you know, they're, they're going to play it the way Neil wants them to play it and keep it yeah. very, very quiet in, a, in an insular circle. But professionally, I, I, I appreciate their honesty that they were devastated, that they had a lot more to give. They had a lot more of rush to do that they wanted to do. And I don't think that's selfish, George. You know, the last two years were like with, with the pandemic, we're like, you're selfish. None of it is. None of it is. It's all it, it it is all comparative selfishness when we think about they have every right to to want that career. They have every right to want their friend to be okay and for them to to play on stages till they're 75. Everybody yeah. else is everybody else is doing it until they're 75. Yeah. Nobody's and old I, anymore. And I love that they said it. I yeah. love that they said it because that's the thing. Like what I what I I understand loyalty and loyalty is kind of tantamount to everything. I really believe in many respects, but if, if your relationships are strong and your relationship with yourself is strong, you should be able to rattle the trees and see what falls out. That's actual growth in my mind. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe the reason I like to interview uh, of all the things I do in my career, playing music is my favorite, but the reason I like having conversations with people is because like, you know, man, you've done this. The first, what? 30% of an interview is like, whatever. And, you know, if, if there are 10 questions, everybody in the world, experienced or not, is asking the same five. Everybody's asking the same five. Maybe somebody really experienced is going to answer two, but every really ex- experienced person around the world is going to ask the same two. And then there's two or three that are left. Those are the things that are yours, right? Mm-hmm. Those are yours. And that's, so to me, uh, when I have conversations with people, it's kind of like emotional archaeology in a way. Let's dig up the bones and let's see what it is, not for us, but for successive generations. Like, let this interview live forever. Like the previous interviews I used to watch, how they impacted me in my life, watching those early Dennis Hopper interviews, which changed my life, right? Mm. And, and but, it, but it's this conversation with adults because what does this ultimately do to about unless we are documenting the human experience. That's what this is. That's what interviewing is. That's why I never approached it like pop, you know, promo wheel selling stuff. I know that's part of it because we're consumers and that's how we've been conditioned. But this is documenting the human experience because 50 years from now, dude, no one's ever going to know who I am or who you are. And in 100 or 200 years, they might not know who Rush are or a very small group of people will. Mm -hmm. But what they'll know is humans connecting. 
And I think that's more important than anything that any of us ever accomplished. And I think that that's, I think it's crucial to the document the human experience. George Strombolopoulos is our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. The vibe you got from Alex and Getty is uh, is that as as pained as they are, you, you mentioned that they couldn't have done this two years ago. Yeah. Why was now, why was now the the right time to do it? And and what would what would have been harder to do a year ago or eighteen months ago? I, to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know why now is the right time. I don't know that now was the right time versus a year from now. But I. I think, you know, Getty said it's still fresh. And I, I went through this with one of my best friends passed away a few years ago and it, it, it sneaks up on you. You have moments where you're like, oh, right, they're gone. And they're such a big part of your life. So I don't know that, I just think two years ago would have been too fresh. I think a year ago might've been too fresh. I think that you need distance to come up with the vocabulary you're going to lean on to get you out of difficult questions. I think it's about learning to, again, I can't speak for them, but I know that when I know that when I sat from them, it was just a moment of, okay, let's do this. Mm. Okay. Let's just do this. And it, I was surprised it happened. I was surprised it happened. I was pleasantly surprised that it happened, but I don't think I could have done it two years ago the same way. Mm. I don't think I could have done it the same way because I, Maybe I would have approached it with two years less experience. Maybe I would have missed something. But I got to spend a little bit of time with Ged uh, a few months ago. No, actually, yeah, a few months ago. I can't remember. COVID yeah, is yeah. throwing the whole calendar off. But um, <laughs> we had a bite to eat at this thing. And you, because sometimes you have to remind yourself, that's a person. It's not Getty Lee, who changed my very first show and tell ever in grade five was I brought 2112. Like it's, you have to remind yourself sometimes <laughs> Getty Lee's a person who's feeling things, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not the guy in the McKenzie brothers uh, record take off. That's, that's right. not who it is. That's right. Say, well, 10, 10 bucks is 10 bucks, right? Yeah, we know right. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I quite often will do the Kurukuku to people <laughs> just because it's so impactful in my life. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know exactly why it was the right time, but I know that, mm. that when we all sat down, it was three grownups who wanted to talk about it. I can tell you another reason why a year ago might've been the wrong time is again, going back to the thing I'll keep leaning on because it's so crucial. None of us want to be a part of exploiting this. It's their story, so they have the right to tell it. None of us wanted anything to do with, oh, we're selling a box set for moving pictures, the 40th. And, and by the way, we're going to, no, it's not that. It wasn't that. It was just, we know that people really, and this is what I, I guess you know this and I know this, but we learned more and more since this interview went out mm -hmm. that people's relationship with Rush is different than their relationship with a lot of bands. Rush is particular. And I think the guys know that their fans are so connected to them that there was a version, I don't believe in closure. There was, this is not closure, but there's a version of their relationship that needs to be addressed. And that this helps do that. Man, I, I saw the last, I was at the last Rush show at the Forum in LA, the last one they ever yeah, played. And yeah. I was sitting in drummer's row. So it was me, uh, Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters, Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, John Theodore, who's played with everybody. Stuart Copeland was there. Oh. John, John Densmore was there. And I'm just looking around thinking, geez, what the? And I'm sitting in drummer's row and I'm looking around going, this is the best row I could ever be in. And watching them all 
try to do all the things, hit all the fills, all that little moment. And these are iconic. John Densmore, Stuart yeah, Copeland. Stuart right? Copeland, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and I I watched the reaction of the crowd, and I've been to, a, like you have, I've been to a million big shows, small shows. This is different. Rush is different. Mm-hmm. And the I think that we just, I'm glad that we did it now because we needed to talk about it so that people in the Rush world could have something but again, no, this is not about exploiting it. This is not about getting, there's none of that. It was just like three people who miss a guy and those two who of course have lost a brother. And so it was, yeah, it, it was the right time, I think, because it came together. Well, are they conscious of two things? Maybe, maybe wanting to work together again. They're conscious of the Rush name, but they're also conscious they have an audience. They were, I, I argue with my friend about the hip all the time. You can imagine, right? Like, Gord passes away. They do that. There is again, 2016, like the year from hell. Uh, we wouldn't want to repeat that ever. And and yet the hip gave us something like shows are shows, as you say, and you pay your ticket and you go and you have a great time. And it's, you might be thinking about it a few days afterwards, but you know what that hip tour meant to Canadians across the country when it, when it ends it, that's Saturday night, right? Olympics are still gone and the show it on CBC and everybody's, I was in a backyard party where there might've been 120 of us that summer, um, uh, that Saturday night watching it. And I think about it and I'm like, those other four guys, they're robbed now through no fault of their own, through no fault of Gord's, of getting to get on stage and feel that, like, this is what happens. The lights go down, and this is what happens when the four of us are on stage. And I I don't know if, if Getty and Alex have sort of resolved that, but I, I know you got into it a little bit about what they might or might not do. Yeah, I think life sucks. <laughs> I, to, not to put too fine a point yeah. on it, I think it sucks, and it was never going to be fair, and... I think about Robert Plant and Jimmy and John Paul Jones when Bonham died and how Plant told me that there he was 31, 32 years old. He's like, it's over. What do I do? He's like, should I go become a, a, a contractor? Should I become a builder? Should I, I dig ditches? What, what do, what do I do now? And he said, and I looked behind me and there were shadows taller than I needed them to be. I don't know. I don't know what those guys, how they do it. I, I like the fact that, because I had asked them if they played when they got together. And they said, no, we just get wasted, which made me laugh. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I think it's actually more. I spoke to Joan Jett yesterday. Oh, uh, okay, and, great. And and she played with Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic and Pat Smear at the Hall of Fame inductions. And she sang Smells Like Teen Spirit. She took on the the, the Kurt Cobain Kurt, voice, yeah. right? And when I remember first hearing they were going to play and it's Joan Jett, I thought, perfect that's that's an easy one to do that's the right person to do it and i asked her yesterday what did it feel like she said i looked around and i saw dave on drums chris and pat playing a song that was so important to them and being lost in the moment and she said and that and then she had this joan jett is awesome and funny and smart and dry and stoic but she doesn't show the big smile all the time but this big smile shows up on her face because she said to see them in their moment. And that's the thing that we'll never, like, I'll never understand. I feel that way. You know, I, I miss Marty streak who I was on the air on the edge with and Marty passed away. I knew Martin. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I think a lot about how, how awful it, how that feeling I had being on the air with him will never happen again. Right. That dynamic. And you can do other things, but you're just not going to have that. And I don't know what those guys do. I don't know. I don't know if they do, if they do it. I don't know that they need, actually, they certainly don't need to do it. If they never did another thing again, 
collectively, cool. They gave us everything already. And I like what Getty said that time, time matters. How do you spend your time? Um, and I know that we, I saw Queen with, I forget who was the lead singer. Adam Lambert, maybe, or? It was pre-Adam Lambert. No, it okay. was Paul Rogers. Paul Rogers from Bad Company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was cool. Yeah. And I just thought, you know what? Aces. And people loved hearing the songs. STP are going to do stuff. Uh, Alice in Chains did it post Lane Staley. And then Zeppelin didn't do it. So I saw I NXS do it past post. Like, imagine an NXS without Michael Hutchins. Well, I right. went and I had a good time. I had a fun had two hours, time. right? Because the songs are amazing. And I think, I think that, I think that, you know, the band's got to do obviously what the band wants to do, but I'm okay with either. I don't think, I mean, how do you do? What was crazy to me is how many drummers even reached out to me going, hey, do you want to connect me to Rush? And I was like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Are you crazy to think that now? Right. It's shocking to me that, and yeah. this is just how they reached out to me. Only a handful did, but still, Hey, if you ever, I'm like the guy, what? And it's not just, I'm not talking about Rush specifically, but like in other bands, if somebody passes away, somebody will say, Hey, do you know the band? Do you want to connect me to them? I went, are you out of your yeah. mind? Where is your humanity? It's, it's one thing if the guy left, right? It's one thing if the guy wants to go do a solo tour and there's an yeah. opening, right? There's, there's an opening. There's opening is in our business, but yes. you don't call somebody the day. No. You don't want to host a Strombo the day after Strombo. Uh, you don't call right. uh, Apple and go, hey, I, I'm available. Yeah. You, no one would do yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, in our business, buddy, somebody will. For sure. <laughs> no, but they so, will, again, they it, will do it. Yeah. They will. Yeah. So the thing, about, again, the thing about Rush is, and this is not, it's yeah. it's because uh, I don't want to speak for them at all, but I just know being around them and following their career for so long and being lucky enough to, to get to know them in a little bit is that they're good guys. They're good guys and they want, and they do the right thing. They do the right thing early. They do the right thing often and whatever they do solo together, however, you know, I'm here for it. Like I'm not at all. I'm here for it. If, if, yeah. if I can just go watch birds with Getty, I'm fine with that. I'm not much of a golfer, but I'll shoot around with yeah, Al. Yeah. That's fine. They've given us so much. I'm, I, this is more about you and your show because I'm fascinated by continuing to find new music. I do think people do get to our age and I know our parents did. And they're like, What's yeah. that news? Like I mentioned Prince. I'm like, my dad would be like, what's the, what are the, what are these lyrics yeah. on the, the lyric DMS? Right. What's, what's this 1999 cassette doing in the car? Your <laughs> sister's in the car. So, so my, uh, put the Glenn Campbell, put rhinestone cowboy back on. So when I they say, yeah. <laughs> when I say that it's very like you find new acts and new band, new stuff turns you on. And it, I will admit like, it's hard. It's hard to find the hours in the day to go. I want to sit down. I want to. I want to listen to your show, which I do. I want to listen to. I want to listen to uh, satellite radio. I want to go all over the place and find new acts that excite me. And I think I was doing that. Like that, there was that real run in 0405 with the Killers and the Bravery and Franz Ferdinand and and uh, she wants revenge. I loved all those. Like I, there was a certain genre and sound and a uh, uh, block party from the UK. Yeah. Love them. So. But then you hit a wall a little bit and you're like, I like the old stuff. I'm going, I'm, and so almost every artist I see is older than me. How yeah. do you do it? How do you, you love all the old, you love stuff that's 50 years old and yeah. you can still find something that uh, a, a debut album from eight months ago. How do you Dude, do it? I was, th I was thinking about this the other night. Like, so last week I went to go see an opera, Fidelio, the Beethoven's only opera. Last night I went to go see Gojira and the Deftones. Uh, Gojira, one of my favorite death metal bands in the world. Tonight, I'm going to go see Richard Coyne. Tomorrow, I'm going to head to the desert to go see my favorite rock band in the world today called Idols. Uh, I just love, I honestly love all kinds of, all kinds of music. But I don't know that I would, 
I, I would think I would be as into it if I didn't do this for a living mm-hmm. um, because I don't have to play new music on the show. I choose to play new music on the show. Um, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, I'm excavating, you know, maybe, maybe on a human level, if I, if I could real talk with you, yeah, I feel like the world's changed. My friends have changed. We've all changed. We get older, things change. You get hardened, all this other stuff. But there's a part of me that's never, ever changed. Never. My relationship with a song, that exuberance, that emotional connection, that's never, ever changed. I have not lost an ounce of passion for this thing that I'm doing with you, this human connection, this art, this expression. I've not lost lost an ounce of it. I'm edgier. I'm tougher. I'm way more hardcore and gangster. Maybe I'm actually more like I I was 18 than I was when I was 35. <laughs> but I'm, I'm all those things because life is hard. Right? We know that. But... I have never lost the youthful. I never lost that feeling I get when I hear, you know, when a baseline drops in a song, you're just, oh my goodness. And, you know, when I go to a, I saw a week and a half ago, I went to a rave at two o'clock in the morning and I heard a DJ drop something. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So Listen, you, never, when you hear the opening, opening lines, opening guitar riff to sabotage, aren't you 21, 22 years old again? Of course you time. are. Every, Every time. single time. Every time, bro. Yeah. I listen to Death Grips now and Idols a lot. And the new album from Spoon's amazing. Uh, the, the I was watching Cyrano, that musical, the movie. I'm not a big musical fan at all. But there's a moment in that movie where there's a song written by members of the National that these soldiers perform in a cave. Dude, it is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I had to stand up. I'm watching it at home. I stood up, rewound it, and watched it like four times. <laughs> I'm still that. So I never lose that. Music yeah. and film to me are maybe because it's maybe because it's how I connect to my own emotion possibly. Mm. Um, But I just love it. And I think also because man, when I was five years old, I was listening to the clash and I was listening to Led Zeppelin and I was listening to Sly and the family stone because it was in my house. And I was listening to Clapton and Van Halen. And then a few years later, public enemy. And I was listening to the beastie boys. And so I just, my whole DNA the expression of my DNA got rewired to music and I can't shake it. I can't shake it. And I still listen to a lot of the old stuff more than I listen to new stuff for sure. Because honestly, a lot of the new stuff in certain genres, I think stinks because I think lyrically it stinks. And I think it's more, it's more, if it's, if I'm 16 years old and I heard songs that were misogynist and homophobic back then, I would have excused them because I was stupid and I didn't know better. But even if I did know better, I might have excused it because I wouldn't have understood the pain it causes. As I'm a grown ass person now, I'm like, I don't want to know. No, if you're if you're singing about if you're a misogynist and a homophobe and a transphobe today, I'm not really here for your journey. Like, I'll let you grow and I'll be a part of your growth if you want. But I'm not really here to excuse that. Because you know better. And I think we we've, we've let a lot of those artists evolve and get it over time. And instead of the quote unquote canceling them, we've let them figure out. We let the Rolling Stones figure out, nah, yeah. don't play don't play brown sugar on stage anymore. Right. Axel but, figured that stuff. You can't. Living Color was telling them this is how one in a million makes us feel. Right. They told right. them that in 1989. Right. They but dropped if you're, that right away from the set. 
Right. But if it's 2022 and you're writing a song that's misogynist or homophobe, you know better and you suck. Like yeah. <laughs> it's different from what you wrote in the 60s when you should have known better and you sucked back then, but you grew. If yeah. In this era, knowing everything we know, you still do that. You suck. And I don't cancel them because I don't I don't care. I don't think cancel culture is even particularly real, but yeah. I think it's not totally real. But I think that. I, I just think that I don't want to do it. Like, I don't want to be a part of it. You know, uh, I, I remember some pretty enormous bands wanted to come play in my house when I was doing the house Strombo stuff. And I said, no. And some of my team were like, what are you doing? I said, no, listen to the lyrics. F those guys. Like, so no And were these big hit? These were big hit songs that we'd know. Dude, the biggest. <laughs> The biggest, okay. <laughs> you know, the biggest, but I just thought now in, in in retrospect, I probably should have done it and challenged them on their lyrics, but I would have done it in an interview, but a performance is an endorsement. And I'm just, I just know better. And I just can't, I'm not mad at people who do their thing. I I, I believe in the sovereignty of the individual. You live your life. This is just how I want to, to live. Yeah. So I don't listen to a lot of newer stuff that I think makes me stupider in, in a hateful way. If it makes me stupider in a fun way, cool. Maybe we should be a little stupider in fun ways and enjoy life a little more. But, um, but I definitely listen. Like, there's a band called Idols, dude, that are so yeah, good. I'm going, I'm going to check them out. You mentioned, you and mentioned a band called Sleaford Mods that I love because Sleaford Mods have a throwback feel to them. But they're singing about they're singing about a blue collar experience in a different way. I love so much. So there's tons of great new music. That new Spoon album, if you love. The new Band of Horses album, there's such great new music out there. Um, and I love listening to it. But don't, don't get it flipped. Like, mm -hmm. I will go into my car and I will put on Zeppelin 2 and nothing will make me feel as good as listening to the Brown Bomber or listening to um, The Wall or yeah. Amused to Death by Roger Waters because they're just so wired in my life. Last thing for you. I'm curious. You, you, you talk to more new artists than I sure do. And I, I wonder if they say, we have this perception out there that's harder that the, the streaming services, right? Like, and, and yet the, nobody was exactly getting rich off record contracts. I mean, you had, there's a reason Prince wrote what he wrote on, on the side of his face. There's a reason, you know, people tried to break away from their labels, but we see everybody selling their masters now, right. To these big companies selling their entire catalogs. So do you look and go, it's harder for a younger band. You would have interviewed so many young bands in the, in the late eighties, early nineties who were starting up a lot of, like we had a great, I think we had a great George six, seven year wheelhouse of like, 5440 and Grapes of Wrath and The Odds and Spirit of the West and all these bands. And we gave them video play. We gave them radio play. We would go, I would go to ton, the Watchmen, tons of their shows. And I thought, I don't, do those bands exist? Do, do the bands now that are those, th those sort of descendants from that era, mm -hmm. can they do as well? Can they make it work? It feels like yeah. all, they have to play live, but it feels like record sales are like, they're not, they don't, they're not the same. Right. Yeah. I, I think they can. I think it is a little different. I think we, because it's so fragmented, you, you don't have, you don't have um, on, you don't have the mass of, Oh, you got a video on much music. We would do an interview with an artist and the manager would call us on our old TV show on the hour when it would go across the time zones, we would do an interview with an artist. They would do a performance and they would monitor every time zone when now the show is airing in the East, boom, went up. Sales. So, so we, that collective experience. This is just on, just on iTunes, you mean, or something like that. Yeah. 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 In yeah. terms of how you buy records. Yeah, totally. And so you don't have that, that centralized uh, place where everybody finds the same thing. You don't have that anymore. But if you think about those bands that we mentioned, with the exception of the hip Nickelback OLP, how many of those bands were arena bands? Not many. 
like arena arena by themselves across the country. And no. in fact, most bands aren't arena bands. So you, but what they do is, so I went last night to see the Deftones and like I said, Gojira, 5,900 people there. I've seen them play in front of 15,000, 20,000, 5,900. So it, it, I think it's about the narrative we construct around them more, more than it is about what their actual experience is. There are arena, arena bands. There aren't as many rock arena bands as there were back in the day because rock radio isn't the same as it was for sure. But there are still tons of great rock bands who find their audience. And the ones who are really smart are the ones who become their own marketers or know how to partner with marketers who find an audience. Um, like one of my favorite places to learn about music and talk about music is on Reddit subgroups because it's like the early days of the internet, the early Usenet news groups. These hyper fans show what connects them to the music. Um, and then you can learn a little bit about that connection and you find them. Now, I, I'm from the era where I don't actually, the more people who liked the band, the less I did. So to me, a band that's super famous usually means they're going to start to suck because they're going to start making choices to hold on to the ring mm-hmm. after they get the ring. The really great bands to me got the ring on their own terms, lost the ring, didn't try to get the ring back, then didn't got the ring, like that thing. So the era of, U2 and Coldplay that's not that's not it it's all rap now and pop but it was always pop so rap is the new is become like when rock music became pop music it it was huge in the 90s and popular is what I mean Mm -hmm. hip-hop is is very poppy it's very industry-based perfect because that's what the industry wants when rock was really enormous it was industry-based punk at its biggest wasn't industry-based but very quickly the industry took it but think about punk right those first two Stooges records at the beginning of the decade. And then year zero, 1977, tennis over. Right. So it's, yeah. it, it's not, or like that first wave I'm talking about first waves. So the industry, or you evolve, be, you go from Gen X to what Billy Idol's yeah. solo career became. And, and you, and oh. then you are playing arenas. If you, if you got some poppy songs, right. But, but you're playing arenas for how long, right. That's the thing that's I did five, six years, on. maybe, maybe right. a half decade. Talks. Right. And, that, yeah. and that's because part of the reason why on a practical level, I think why all that, that big rock and roll was big was because something called classic rock radio existed. So there was a place where you could constantly be connected to this music, right? Whereas pop and hip hop, those two genres don't actually lean as much into the classics as they do to what's new. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course there are still places in LA, there's a great station K day. Um, but, and hip hop and R&B throwback on the station I'm on on hits does it, but some genres are a little bit more wired for new and some genres are a little bit more wired for legacy and the legacy acts that we grew up around because the industry was behind them um, are why I think we keep going back to them. But I've been noticing a lot of younger artists playing guitars. If you go on TikTok and you somehow get on the right algorithm Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot of young people, a lot of young girls with dissonant guitars shredding because the pop music of the day doesn't speak to them. And so they're finding their own expression. They're going back. So it, it is cyclical for sure, but I actually don't think this, the, the, the cycle is a circle. I think it's a really, really weird, augmented, deformed oval. And we're kind of going through that sort of place but i'm watching a lot of young people now play guitars and play drums at shocking levels what you say is so prescient because american idol and a lot of shows like that start and people are thinking well that's how it's all gonna go and and a lot of older artists lamented that and yet there's always gonna be there's always a reverb effect there's always people rebelling against that so that's why listen like there's a reason morrissey saying hang the dj the music wasn't all this synth pop 
wasn't speaking to him. Like I love the human league, but the human yep. league wasn't speaking to Morrissey and Mar at that time. That's okay. Dude. I, I, I was so lucky to, and you two, we're in the golden age of radio and the end of radio. Like I remember being on the radio in the late nineties into the early two thousands thinking, yo, this music's garbage. We're playing bad. <laughs> we're playing bad music here. We're playing bad music here. And, and because you could see, because once you get closer, you could see the industry's influence on it. The record label influence, the publisher's influence, the chasing the ring. And you're like, oh, right, right. It isn't what I thought it was when I was a kid. Because we come from a golden era. I mean, dude, the Beatles, 63 to 70. That's it. Seven years. Seven years from that first to that last record. Um, Zeppelin, a little bit longer. That's it. The not, Nothing in life lasts. That's the thing. Nothing in life lasts. So once you realize that the summer of love was actually just a summer, <laughs> you know, and you yeah, you go, yeah. okay, uh, you watch the, the the summer of soul as well. You're like, that was one summer. Um, and I think it's partly because we want things to last forever and they don't. And we have to just understand that we do. I think now as we get older, look, things change and you have to be, you don't have to be okay with the change, but you would do yourself a favor not to lament it. It um, makes me relieved to talk to you because you and I have had long careers, but it makes me, it makes me think about you too. Like it's a sustained career, but ask a U2 fan, like, like, what do you not like about them? And they've got a long list. They're like, I didn't like this album. I didn't like yeah. this entire six years. Then they bounce back. Then they made all that you can't leave. Like it wasn't always 1987's Joshua treat. And I went to see that reunion tour and it was like, Oh my God, I went to see it twice in it Toronto amazing. and Buffalo. I loved it so much. It was amazing. It. People forget dude, that David Bowie, got ripped. David Bowie made some bad records. And I actually talked to Bowie about that. And he, and he looked at me, he goes, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. And it's not that, that those records were bad. They were just records that didn't land at the time. You're talking about the eighties stuff. Like he, he calls it his Phil Collins era, as you yeah. know. Yeah. And by the way, I used to make fun of Phil Collins when I was 13, listening to uh, Sex Pistols. And I hear those Phil Collins songs now. They're better. There's some great stuff. I see. And, <laughs> he's a, and he's was, a great rock vocalist. You listen to Land of Confusion. How good dude, the singing, the drums, all of it. And dude, looking the way he looked to be as big as he was that first of all, that's one of the great things about our era is that how you look didn't really matter, but he's a handsome guy, but he did not look like a pop star. Right. And look at how yeah. big he was. And yeah, those songs are incredible. I, I really believe that. And it's the, it's the inner work I do all the time. Cause you get older, like you said, and you get a little bit more, not jaded, but you maybe get a little bit more cynical. I always, I always say, take the cynical, the cynicism, Make sure you're feeding critical thinking, not cynicism. Feed critical thinking, not cynicism. Be open. It doesn't matter. Be open. It doesn't matter. And I say that to myself all the time. Dude, be open. It doesn't matter. Who cares what you think? I don't care about my opinion about most things. I, what I care about is am I open enough to experience new things? And I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's work. It's that interior work that everybody talks about needing to do. But I do it because there's so much great. There's a new Richard Coyne. Like, I'm going to go see Richard Coyne tonight. His records are amazing. I loved, you know, it's funny you brought up U2 because mm. I did a whole thing on the show the other day about this. When Staring at the Sun came out, it was maligned. Yeah. It was yeah. like the production. You hear Staring at the Sun at a show now, performed slightly differently. It's one of the best songs they've ever written. Electrical Storm, one of the best. Electrical Storm's awesome. I, awesome. Yeah, yeah. But when it first came out, it didn't, wasn't like a big thing. And you start... So even though you two make records that not everybody loves, but it's because it's everybody's, I don't know what the human condition is, but we just constantly exist relatively. We compare everything to a thing. 
as opposed to what it is. That's why we blow our relationships because, oh, I expected this. I wanted this. I had this. That's why we blow everything in our lives. That's why we're not happy. It's because everything's relative. It's I looked at Instagram. When people put likes counts on there, everybody suddenly internalized and went, oh my God, I feel like I need to get likes. So they took away showing likes. And I thought, that's how bad we are as a society that we didn't want to do the work. We mm-hmm. made it like they had to remove likes so we'd feel better. And guess what? Nobody felt better. Nobody felt <laughs> likes because because it's in you. So to me, yeah. I'm trying not to live relatively. So when I go, I, I'm like you, I went and saw that U2 show. Dude, I cried. It's in the so first good. Song. I saw them three times, two or three times on that tour. And first of all, everybody expected them to open with the Joshua Tree. And then they open with those five crushing hits and then they start the Joshua tree, which yeah, was a yeah. pleasant reminder to everybody in the world. You can say whatever you want about you two, but they're better than anybody ever. And by the way, Bono actually saves lives. He actually saves millions of lives yeah. with the activism work he does. So that not only do they write their own music, the same, they're the same band of brothers in that band. And so what, you don't like a couple of songs or you don't like that Bono comes across this way. You mean, cause he's actually saving lives. I, I can judge my friends based on how they feel about YouTube. You, you, you <laughs> they, they, they start the intro music is the Water Boys hold the moon. Fuck, what a I choice. mean, I can't, I'm about what to swear. Choice. I'm about to swear on AM radio. It's that much. I like that song. Larry Mullen Jr. walks out by himself, sits down with the drum kit, and just rips into Sunday. But thank you. It's just I had to see that a second time. I could have left after 20 seconds and been satisfied. After Dude. I saw the whole show in Toronto, seeing that in Buffalo, I could have walked out after 20 seconds. But like, that's what I came for. And that remember, first 20 seconds. They walked on with the lights on. <laughs> they walked on with the lights on. They didn't create false drama. The, the theatrics weren't there. They, you know, that Larry Mullen moment you're talking about stays with me. And I think about it at least once a week now, because do you remember when, of course, he walks out and the crowd goes wild and he sits down and he, as you said, hit Sunday, Bloody Sunday. And do you remember how the crowd reacted like it was i looked around Uh, yep yep oh my god this is this is insane this is insane i've watched it on youtube at about eight or nine different venues just for that moment so that's it's a a shock someone married me when i say that like that's how much of a nerd i am really dude dude, i watch youtube live at slang castle i watch pearl jam in brooklyn i watch those same shows over and over again for that same reason because Look, if you if you hear music in a certain way and it reaches you like that, you have to root. You have to go to that. I watched Metallica in Moscow. Have you ever seen that video of them no. performing? You got to go see it. Just YouTube and then YouTube the reaction video of people who don't know Metallica's music watching Metallica play Enter Sandman in Moscow, uh, Iron Curtain pre- pre-fall. Yeah. Anywhere from 500,000 to 1.6 million people in the crowd. The security guards were the, were the Soviet soldiers. Helicopters flying. And, and when you see the crowd, you just want to go, well, if the human condition really is about the collective experience, mm-hmm. to me, there's no more beautiful way to experience it than at a concert. I love it at sports because there's a winner and a loser. But at a concert, everybody wins. And so to me, yeah. the human condition is the collective, the collective experience and not, not an individual experience. And so when that, when Larry Mullen hit the snare drum for the first, we hit, you know, the hi-hat and the, yeah. the snare drum, I looked at my friends and I saw them <laughs> running and the tears in their eyes, yeah, yeah, the tears in my eyes. And I thought, yeah, man, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Yeah. 
I've monopolized your entire day. Uh, um, okay. Apple Music Hits, Strombo is on Apple Music Hits, yep. five o'clock Toronto time. Um, I think oh, we moved down. Now we're 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 six p or six Pacific. Nine oh, are you? Toronto, yeah, nine Toronto, and we're eight AM UK. We wanted to make sure we were hitting key time zones because that's the thing. We're in 165 countries, so it's like okay, I want I want the mornings in LA in London. I want so we we're just we moved it around to get the right spot. Well, being a, being on in the UK in the morning, you're right, you're right there competing with BBC Radio One. That's great. I love that's, it. And, and Capital and the Radio. That's in, great. And we're the mornings in Japan and the mornings in Australia. <laughs> so I like that too. I love it. Well, I'm glad. I'm so glad you made the time for me. Um, Thanks, and and I, I, you know, I feel like a cat. I didn't pick up the phone a year ago and say, come on AM radio and talk about the Montreal Canadiens being in the Stanley Cup final. And I don't know when we're going to get to do that again. The, 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 it uh, it three only years. happens every 29 years. So three years in three years from now, it'll happen. Cole Caulfield. Yeah. Raising that, yeah, raising the chalice. I gotcha. In three years, it'll happen. Yeah. Thank you for like, you're the uh, I, I didn't have an older brother and you're a year younger than me. But for music, you and I would have been fighting over CDs and yep. throwing cassettes at each other and and arguing over whose time it was to play on the stereo. It would have been yep. great. Uh, bro, I still have my working a track player here. We would have done <laughs> that, too. <laughs> Thank you so much for this time. I'll uh, Thanks, I'll put it all together uh, nicely and uh, and put it together for the morning. All right. Let me know. Thanks, brother. Appreciate OK, you. it's great, George. Thank you so Appreciate much. You.